Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Today is Friday, June 21st, the summer solstice. Not that it means anything anymore. Last night, Donald Trump nearly ordered a missile strike on Iran in retaliation for Iran shooting down one of our drones in the Strait of Hormuz. When I heard this this morning, I went online and bought a ticket for Dubai, which is very close to the Strait of Hormuz. A U.S. citizen can travel freely there along the southern coast of the Persian Gulf, so it seems like the place to go and see things firsthand and talk to people there about what's happening and why. Maybe they don't know any more than we do, but at least they live there. It's at least where things are happening. Somebody should go there. I should go there. So I bought a ticket leaving the second week of July. For today, I want to play an interview I recorded last week with William J. Astore, who served 20 years in the U.S. Air Force and retired as a lieutenant colonel in 2005. Not long after he retired, Astore started writing essays that were highly critical of the military and our wars on terrorism. He's written over 60 pieces for Tom Dispatch. Some have been republished by The Nation and Truthout and other independent social media websites. I wanted to talk to him because he's a good writer who speaks from first-hand experience and gets straight to the point that our military-industrial complex is too big, too powerful, and is destroying our country and wreaking havoc around the world. A story lives on Cape Cod, and we ended up talking in a rather ideal location on a houseboat, a house raft, anchored in the Woods Hole Harbor. It was a bright, sparkly day on the water among sailboats and other house rafts flanked by mansions along the shore. Would you be okay talking about you know, your past, like how you got to the position you're in today? Is that all right? Yeah, your yeah. Background? I'm kind of interested in how you went from being a, in the service, in the Air Force, to basically writing about, you know, criticizing the military. Right. Like, what made you want to go into the Air Force to begin with? How did that happen? Well, I wanted to go to college. And my father, who was a firefighter, as we talked about briefly already, was old school Great Depression. And he thought that I should pay for college myself. So I decided as a teenager that I would pursue a scholarship through Air Force ROTC. And I went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute here in Mass, got my BS in mechanical engineering, and I was trained as an engineer, you know, educated, lots of, lots of math and science. But the irony is when, when you go into the service, and a, and a lot of, this happens to a lot of veterans, you get into the service and then the Air Force has its own idea of what it wants you to do. So instead of being a mechanical engineer, I ended up testing computer software and working at the Cheyenne Mountain Center in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, we had about 2,000 feet of granite above us. And it was a, you know, a series of buildings built on gigantic springs inside Cheyenne Mountain that somehow would ride out a nuclear war. Like it had a, had a water reservoir inside it and, and enough food to last for, for months and all that. The ultimate bomb shelter. You know, I, uh, I ended up while I was in the military, I ended up getting my master's degree and my doctorate. I ended up teaching military history and, 
in world history and other history at the Air Force Academy for for six years. So I wasn't the hardest charging officer by any means, but I wanted to get promoted. Uh, I got swept up in in the system. So as a soldier, 20 years, right, Lieutenant Colonel, do you? How do you feel about what you've been doing the past few years since you started writing? Well, the past 12, anyway. Right. I'm always hesitant before I, before I publish anything online, you know, to make sure that I'm not saying something that I think is somehow disloyal or, or unpatriotic. But that said, I think criticism, uh, if that's what I'm doing, I think that's part of service. I like to think I'm writing critical stuff, but in a patriotic way. What I write and what Andrew Basevich writes and Danny, Danny Sturson, who just retired as a major uh, in, from the Army, and he's been writing quite a bit for Anti-War and Truth Dig and other sites. We're military officers who spent our careers in the military, who now see things that you know, we're, we're critical of while still being, um, I don't want to say pro-military, but still seeing a, a utility for the military. I mean, I'm, I'm against all of the wars we're in now, which I see as wars of choice. I see no reason who have gone into Iraq. There were, there were no weapons of mass destruction, as proven. There was no reason to persist in Afghanistan as long as we have. Libya is a disaster. You know, Syria is a mess. All of these wars that we've, we've gotten involved in since 9-11 have been disasters. I mean, not just for us. I mean, think about what we did to the Syrian people. Think about the Iraqi people. Think about Afghan people. Think about the, the millions of refugees, the maybe at least 100,000 killed as a result of our Iraq invasion in 2003. Just think of those figures. That is something that we need to change. We need to stop this. Uh, as I was telling you earlier, I come from a family of firefighters. My father, my brother, my brother-in-law, my nephew. I mean, I honor anyone willing to serve, put their lives on the line. I really do support our military. But if you want to support our military, the best way to do that is, is bring them back from these horrendously wasteful and futile wars. Uh, the best way to support our military is not to throw money at it. Uh, not to give it a budget of $750 billion. That's just outrageous. The, 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 the military doesn't even know how to spend that money. That's why what you see now is these huge purchases of weaponry that the military is making now. Every F-35 that is built, every B-21 bomber that is to be built, is paid for, for by, by us, right? Do we want our taxpayers' money going to a new F-35 or a new B-21 stealth bomber when we already have all these bombers? Or do we want it going to better schools for our kids, better roads to drive on, safer bridges, better health care? I think most people, most sane people, would say, you know, I want, I want better health care. I, I want better education for my kids. Uh, I want a safer environment. I agree. So why isn't it like that? It's just, oh, well... Part of it is you look at American history and violence defines us uh, as a people. And to a certain extent, Americans believe in violence and we believe in weapons. Why do we acquiesce 
to more than 300 million guns in the hands of Americans? Why do we accept more than 30,000 people killed each year by guns? Why do we accept such a level of violence, uh, both here and overseas? It's disturbing that, in a way, that we've become by far the world's number one weapons exporter. That we are clearly, we dominate the world's arms trade. So if you're looking for a made in America product now, unfortunately it's not the pair of shoes that you're wearing, the, the pair of jeans, the hat. If you want to find something made in the USA, it's a JDAM missile, it's a Tomahawk, it's a Reaper or Predator drone, it's a Hellfire missile. What about the generals, the people who should be speaking out and opposing our military strategy? You know, that's their job to defend the country. And if the best way to defend the country is not fund aircraft care, why don't they do it? What's wrong with these men who are in position, positions of power? Well, what you have to realize with generals is, is they're not born, they're made, uh, and they're made in a very carefully... As one of my friends said, who, who was a full colonel, he said, generals are curated. They're identified very young, usually as the rank of lieutenant or captain. And when you do make general, there's actually sort of like a general's finishing school that you go to that sort of teaches you, now that you're a brigadier general, this is how you need to be. So, you know, a general officer, I, I don't know exactly how much they make, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, about $125,000, $150,000 a year uh, with benefits, you know, drivers and aides and airplanes if you're a four-star and all that. Uh, but coming out of the military with your, with your big pension, uh, you know, then they go work for Raytheon or Boeing or whatever, making a lot more money. So, oh, in some cases, millions, you know, serving on various corporate boards. Um, so there's, there's a financial incentive as well not to make waves because if you make waves that great job that you were hoping for in the military industrial complex after you retire you know maybe at the age of 50 or 55 that job might not be there and so we have this system that's it's rotten at the top yeah i mean i i've i've met generals um not many generals i've met a couple I've met generals who are decent people uh, and thoughtful, but I think the system itself is corrupting. And it's one of those things where, and, and partly I think we've forgotten this whole notion of the citizen soldier, the idea of public service, because I just can't abide all of the warrior talk that we see nowadays. This idea that, that American soldiers and airmen are, are warriors first, and uh, citizens second. It's like, you, number one, we, sh we shouldn't be warriors at all because warriors you know, makes me think of Sparta. It makes me think of, of a militaristic, it makes me think of Nazi Germany. We're a democracy. We should be at peace. War should be the anomaly. Uh, and this is something that James Madison wrote about, that war is the enemy of democracy because war leads to authoritarianism. You know, the last time somebody talked seriously about peace was Dennis Kucinich. I think it was 2008, uh, and he was laughed at. We've forgotten what 
true defense means. We've engaged in an enormous amount of threat inflation. We've ex you know, exaggerated the, the threats that have faced us and, and we've become intoxicated by power. Uh, I know in the Air Force, you know, we talk all the time about global reach, global power, full spectrum dominance, American exceptionalism, all of these things. It's, it's led to an incredible sense of just arrogance, arrogance and privilege. We seem to have become intoxicated with this notion that, that we are God's chosen and that we are the world's sole superpower and damn it, we deserve to be. And it's, and it's led to this arrogance and a misuse of power that, that we see today. And we've come to believe because we've, we've invested and not, not the best word, but because we've spent so much on the military, we've also, many people have come to see it as a, as a sort of panacea, uh, as, a, as a way to cure all our ills. Uh, you know, send in the military, that's the way to solve that problem. We got a problem with Iran, in, in, with Iran? Well, threaten them with some aircraft carriers and, and we, hey, go to war, threaten war with them. That, that'll, that'll keep them in line. And we can do that because we're America. And, and I think quite a few Americans feel guilty they feel guilty nowadays. We don't have a draft anymore. Uh, most Americans, they make no sacrifice whatsoever other than, you know, taxpayers, you know, paying taxes every year. They don't even pay attention. So I, I think there's a little bit of guilt there involved too. Guilt. It's like the least I could do, the least I could do is wait, you know, nod my head and, and say, yes, you're, you're a hero. And in some ways, it, 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 it's literally the, the least they could do. All right, one more question. Is there something that you tell people when they ask you, well, what do we do? What can I do? What will work to end the war mentality? Is there, or is it just too difficult to sum up or give a simple answer to? Wow, it is. It is. You know, I'll share, I'll share a story that implicates me, I guess. Uh, as a young kid, I wasn't a fan of John Lennon. Uh, I thought John Lennon was was a peacenik, you know, he was too idealistic. Uh, I didn't like his song, Imagine. Um, you know, imagine there's no countries, you know, it's easy if you try, that kind of stuff. What, you know, what are you talking about? I love America, uh, I would never give that up. And I, I, the thing is, I, I think we can still, you know, love America in the sense of, you know, what, what, what does that even mean, right? What is loving America? I think when we talk about that, we mean, you know, we love our family, we, we love our, the situation that we're in, our, our communities, and uh, that's really what America is all about, is about us. So, so um, I've come to recognize a little bit the, the wisdom of what John Lennon was saying, in the sense that it has to begin with, with us in our imagination. We have to imagine a better world, right? I mean, that's what I was getting at when I said no one talks about peace anymore. Very few people talk about peace. It's as if we just say, well, we're stuck with the war on terror and it's, gonna, it's the long war. It's going to go on forever. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? A generational war will kill this democracy. So, so we need to imagine a more peaceful, more pacific course. Because there's no doubt that America is a superpower militarily. Can we be a superpower morally, ethically? Can we, can we 
can we be a superpower with our imaginations? Can we set an example? And so I think we need a, call it a reformation, a regeneration. Uh, that's what we need, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was William J. Astori. You can find his essays on social media sites like Tom Dispatch, In These Times, Consortium News, The Nation, Truth Dig, Truth Out, but you won't read him in the New York Times or see him on CNN or hear him on NPR. You heard him here on Home of the Brave. I spoke with Astori on June 12th, the day before two oil tankers were bombed in the Sea of Oman and then Iran shot down the drone, all in the space of a week. Things are different now. But this is what a story said about a war with Iran. Look, if uh, you think the Iraq war was bad, Iran poses a far more formidable challenge. It's a much larger country. It's a military that's more robust. And uh, if we do go to war against Iran, which I think would be a, you know, a foolish thing to do, there's no reason to go to war, uh, against Iran. But if we did, I think it would be a disastrous of several magnitudes more than what we witnessed going against Iraq. I'd like to thank Jay Allison for providing the house raft for the interview and the chauffeured boat service out and back. Jay produces the Moth radio show and manages the whole transom.org operation, which is the best school on the planet for aspiring radio producers. And I'd like to thank you for supporting this show by donating, subscribing, or buying t-shirts and patches. There are links for this on our website, homebrave.com. I'm going to have to raise some money for the trip to the Persian Gulf. So if you're interested in helping out, go to homebrave.com. I'll talk more about this in the next episode. One more anti-war story before I leave for the next war zone. Thanks for listening.